Hi, everyone. Uh, and probably the thing I have to emphasize is that it feels like the Turkish Basketball League should be a big sponsor of their bonus podcast because not just, as always, we have this frequent guest, Eric McCollum of Izmir Karşiyaka, but this time there's another uh, member of another Turkish Basketball League, league team, uh, guard of Galatasaray Istanbul, Dylan Ennis. Hey guys, welcome to the show. It's great to have you here, despite you know being in a serious stage on basically the eve of the Turkish League playoffs. Thanks for having yeah, us. Thank you. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Yeah, and no, I know that Dylan has some other stuff to deal with now, but I, I'll keep it. I'll keep those things when it will get official. But what just became official? Mm -hmm. I'm not sure if you guys are aware of it, but the Euroleague just announced a new a partnership deal with ESPN, which means that US oh. basketball fans mm -hmm. will be able to watch the Euroleague playoffs, the Final Four in Konas, and the entire 2023-24 uh, season on ESPN platform. So how yeah, about that? That's a game changer. I think um, it will help bring a lot of attention to Europe. A lot of people always wonder what happens to their favorite players. Um, you know, who aren't playing in the NBA. And I think it will bring the attention to the high quality, you know, of uh, yearly basketball and the European style. And it would be different because fans will start to see that every game counts, every game matters. And I think it will help the game glow, uh, grow globally. You know, it only makes sense that they do this. NBA mm -hmm. did it you know, with their league, bringing it um, to Europe and other parts overseas. Only makes sense that the yearly brings it to America. Yeah. yeah. Great move. Obviously, not all the Americans play in EuroLeague, but you know the ones that do. Everybody, hey, what link could I uh, click on to watch your games and things like that? So, you know, at least having the EuroLeague to watch, I think it definitely helps um, all of Europe. You know, get the name out there, get the, especially in America, for people to see. You know how we play out here, the style, because you know they have no clue. Uh, you know what goes on here. They're not big basketball junkies, so it's definitely a step in the right direction. And it's going to be good this? for um, players who want to go to the NBA. Um, your European players, it's a little bit more convenient for NBA teams to turn on the TV, you know, than it is to get on the plane and travel ten to twelve hours. You know, so it'll definitely be a game changer for them. How about this Euroleague TV experience? I mean, is it? It probably it's not very you know user friendly in in states, or I mean, because even before they could watch uh, Euroleague games on Euroleague TV, I believe. I like it. Um, I'm familiar with it. I've been using it, but you know, for the average, mm -hmm. you know, American citizen, um, you know, they already have their cable package. They already have you know whatever they use to go and pay for something right. extra. Sometimes they're a little bit slower to do it. I mean, you know, they'll maybe do it for Netflix or something like this, but, um, when something's already on TV, if you're a basketball fan and you know, you want to watch a game and let's say there's no NBA games on, or there's no teams that you, you know, really desire to watch. You know, this is something that would be convenient for them, easy for them, just flipping the channels. And, you know, they might tune in and watch. And, you know, what yearly should do is focus on, if you want to have that American engagement, um, you know, focus on those American players because they all come from, you know, certain colleges and those colleges have alumni base. Um, and alumni will always support, um, you know, people who play for their university. So, you know, if you were there, if you were a big player, you played well, you know, people who maybe don't even care about European basketball, they care about that player and that's a way to kind of um, increase the engagement you know with the american citizen eric speaking of an engagement i mean yeah even yeah dylan you can continue no sorry just to think about what eric said even uh as the tbt it shows 
yeah, it shows the same thing. You know, you forget about some players that went to your college. So now you get to see them play after college, even if they're not in the NBA. And, you know, the following will, you know, grow because they want to see these guys that they used to grow up watching or the alumni who get used to support them. Now they get to support them overseas. Um, so I definitely think, yeah, focusing on American players who play, you definitely get that crowd from America who want to support people they watched years before. And since Eric, you mentioned this engagement thing, uh, I've seen I've seen CG on ESPN frequent, quite frequently. What about bringing this podcast on the ESPN platform, platform as well? <laughs> yeah, that would be that would be fun. That would be fun for sure. I think uh, they definitely could use us now since they have um, you know the year lead rights. They might as well you know hire some guys who are familiar with the year lead. You know what better than us? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Dylan, you're just about the right time to jump on this Urbonus podcast bandwagon. Yeah, man, if it, it's in uh, checks, then I, I'm definitely jumping in. <laughs> yeah, and ESPN has unlimited pockets. Disney owns them, so you know they can they can make it rain. Yeah, a lot of money over there. Yeah, uh, guys, obviously we're here to uh, discuss the Euroleague playoffs, and we have three great game fives on the line and it's actually great that uh, NBA fans, US basketball fans will have at least this sl a slight chance uh, to, to, to see the decisive uh, games of the season on the ESPN platform and so we'll share our predictions for all of these games <laughs> but we'll try to go you know in, individually by each case but before we start this discussion uh, how would you rank out of these three upcoming matchups uh, this week? How would you rank Partizan, Maccabi, and Fenerbahce as the most likely to make history and become the first uh, away team to, uh, to win Game Five uh, in the history of the Euroleague playoffs? From from the most likely to the least likely, how your top three would look like? For me, go ahead. Go ahead. You want me to go? Right. For me, and it's almost like. I'm kind of changing my opinion because I obviously picked uh, Real Madrid to win. And, you know, I thought they were going to win, but just, you know, watching the game, you know, I, mm -hmm. I should have known better. Never go against Obravich and his team. You know, he's just, <laughs> he's unbeatable in the playoffs. He had those boys ready. And, you know, I think it might have been a clean sweep if, you know, the unfortunate circumstances hadn't occurred mm -hmm. with uh, the brawl. But um, I think they're going to win game five. I mean, you have punter back. You know, now the source, um, he came back last game, but, you know, now he's coming back with Punter as well. You know, they don't have the full team, the full roster. Um, it seems like Exum, you know, man, I'm sure he's battling through pain, but it seems like he's okay, you know, playing-wise, he's able to impact the game. And I just feel like, you know, it'd be a disservice for them, you know, to dominate that series, to have – it almost feels unfair, you know, the way yeah. things played out. And now the series is 2-2, two to two and we know why. Not because they were yeah. the better team, but because – circumstances allowed them. So I feel like the basketball guys are going to look out for them and I feel like they're going to come in hungry and it's going to be extremely difficult, you know, after you know losing two in a row, they have the confidence. But I feel mm -hmm. like if anybody's going to make history, it's got to be Phil Jackson of Europe. Right? It's got to be Obravich. Yeah. He's got to be the one who makes history. So and, and I, I made a mistake. I went against him once. I will not make the That's same mistake fine. twice. <laughs> 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 It, it, it's good. It's good thing that you mentioned partisan. And now I have this question for both of you. Uh, if you were the CEO of the Euroleague and 
you had all the power to decide. Just just a quick reminder that it was the, it was a decision by the uh, yearly dis- disciplinary judge. But let's say yearly CAO has the all the power to decide on these sanctions. How would you have handled the situation uh, after the brawl uh, in Madrid? Completely. Go ahead. I just think, yeah, I think giving. Uh, I think the biggest one was punting because you know watching him, you know even when everything happened. You know, he was able to not react as bad as, you know, other people would. And because he did that, I don't think that they should have gave, he gave, they gave him two games, correct? Or, yeah, two games. So now, even if uh, Partizan would end up winning that first game, then he doesn't play in the final four. I think the maximum, at least punter should have got was one game because, you know, okay, Give him one game for disciplinary reasons. But yeah, as uh, Eric said, I think the basketball guys are going to look out for them because they had the series one. You know, you're going back to partisan with your full team. It's going to be hard to beat them at home uh, to go to the final four. So I definitely think, you know, what they did with Punter was, you know, not the right decision. Um, but yeah, I, I think it was a must-see basketball that yearly took away from the watchers. And obviously they have the last game to decide that, but it's going to be a disservice to Partizan and EuroLeague. If, you know, and Real is a great team, but if they advance and Partizan lost their shot, it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to suck. Yeah, as far as the suspensions and the sanctions, um, I understand the EuroLeague was in a tough place. Um, you know, they kind of had to make a statement um, just so that something like this doesn't happen. You kind of have to set a precedent, but um, I feel like the agitator should always be suspended because there's always, you know, someone who starts, you know, the flame. You know, so anyone who charged or went at somebody should have been, you know, suspended. But, you know, for Punter was more so in a defense mode. You know, he was more like backpedaling and people were coming towards him. So, you know, maybe there's a suspension, but I think one game is more warranted. Lou should have been suspended. Musa should have been suspended because he went charging. Um, You know, if you watch it, you know, you see it clearly. They did the right thing with Deck one game, then do two. I just felt like two would have been too much because he's an important player and you don't want to take away from um, the main picture in the in the playoffs. Like you don't want to reward a team for starting and instigating a situation and giving them an opportunity to get back into the series. And that's kind of what they did. When you take away punter, you know, it really destroys that team. As you see, they're struggling on the perimeter to create things, um, to manufacture offense. You know, he can kind of break Rumage's zone defense. You know, he can play the pick and roll, get to the mid-range area, the pull-ups, which is what they're susceptible, giving up that Basically, that shot off the screen, if you could shoot that pull-up three with Tavares in that drop, that's the shot they give up. The mid-range is a little bit more difficult because he's so tall, but the three ball is there, and that's what he excels at. You know, He's one of the, the best shooters in the EuroLeague off of that one dribble pull-up, off the pick and roll, two dribbles into the shot. And you know, without that, you know, he makes the defense extend, and it kind of opens everything up for everybody. And, you know, Bravich made his adjustments. He did what he had to do, but... You know, the, the loss of Kevin Punter was just too much. And you know, they tried to play through the post, but they just they weren't able to win like that. You know, they were effective. They had moments, but you have to be able to hit shots consistently from the perimeter and to have someone break down the defense. And I think Punter is the only one on that roster who can break down the defense. I think Nunley can hit shots, you know, but Punter is a little bit better with the ball and creating certain things. Yeah, I've, I've checked stats and actually both games uh, ended up in pretty similar scenario. With three minutes to play, 
the game was basically tie or it was like Madrid having a small lead, like two points or something. But I've checked the partisan stats <coughs> of their field goal shooting in the last three minutes of both games. So game three, they made one of eight field goals in mm. the last three minutes. The game four, two of eight field goals. So and you have to understand have, that as punter where he, do, he does his best work in that time. Exactly. And I mean, the three field goals that Partizan scored in the last, okay, six minutes of both games was Lee Day's off-board three, uh, Madar's layup after stealing the ball in the middle of the court and making a transition. And then there was this crazy deflection play. So so these were the three field goals that they, yeah. they've made. So, I mean, Punter is, is coming as a rescuer in this situation because just as Eric mentioned, I mean, not only Kevin Punter is the best clutch player on, on Partizan, his presence just gives confidence to the rest of the team in a way of how James Nunnally can just make a, a spot-up corner free, how Zach Lede exactly. can be in a better post position because Kevin Punter with the ball, he can create plays both for himself and for the others. Now, all these guys, they had to be something like Kevin Punter, you know, to be this uh, uh, hero, to, to make those hero uh, ball plays in the last minutes. And it was not the partisan team that this yeah. this team was all about the rest, uh, entire season. And, that, and that's stressful for players who are usually catch-and-shoot guys or who are usually defenders, who are energy guys. Now you're asking, yeah, Mater to be a scorer, you know, in certain situations. Now you're asking Nunley to play more with the basketball, you know, and that puts guys in a position where they haven't been for nine months, eight months, you've been playing a certain role in a Bravis system. Now you're forced to be something a little bit more. Now he has to go deeper to the bench. You know, now Papa Petru played well too. You know, he, he showed up, but like, there's a lot of guys thrust into roles that they haven't had to play all year. And in a playoff time, that's not really what you want. So I think one game would have been sufficient. Yeah. You know, the good news is um, if Partizan can win game five, they got an extra game um, at home. 20,000 people times, I don't know how much the average ticket is, 30, 40 euros, who knows? I mean, you know, as, as a Zagiris man yourself, how much <laughs> money one extra game can bring a club. So, you know, that could help them, you know, financially and stuff. But, you know, if they don't win game five, it kind of like it's almost all for nothing. Yeah. 1.5 million, actually, for Zagiris. One playoff game was like 1.5 million in revenue. So yeah. for so Partizan, maybe... Maybe it should be quite similar because the price is a bit lower, but they have like 20,000 fans capacity. Fans so. There, yeah. so, so you guys are mad at Saris for not giving y'all, you know, <laughs> yeah, a I little thought gift. That they made this agreement before the series, <laughs> but I know. I need to play out there, man. I heard it's crazy to play out there. That arena is, I heard it's madness. It's beautiful, beautiful arena. Beautiful. Yeah. Lithuanian people, they love the game. They do. And they know it. They know the game of basketball. Uh-huh. Yeah, but People in Belgrade, they love the game too. And Dylan knows it better than anybody. <laughs> and, no, I, mean, I, I try to tell people, I try, to, I try to explain it to people back home, but you just can't even explain how it is. I was on, when I'm on the home team, when I was on Red Star, I'm on the bench and obviously I was a rookie. I could feel my chest beating hard. Like, and it's not a feeling like I'm at a away game. It's like you're excited to play. And you just don't, I've never seen that anywhere else I've been. Uh, the only, the thing that came close, when we played Fenner here, yeah, that game was completely wild. Like I, I get it, and you know, it, Eric, we get up for those type games. Yeah, but yeah, Red Star, it it was madness. I mean, I think that the only other gym 
that shares kind of similar atmosphere is only, I mean, Athens when Olympiakos and Panathinaikos are playing. So basically we have the three hottest places in, in European basketball. I mean, Belgrade, Athens, and Istanbul. Because, I mean, Jalgis Arena is nice. The atmosphere there is great, but it's different. It's more like, I would say, family-oriented compared to the those uh, free other gyms. Yeah, they're loud, but in Zagiris, I feel it's safer. Some When you're playing Red Star Partisan, That's not safe. you feel unsafe. Like, I would have my <laughs> wife fly. If we played a Lithuanian team, and we, let's say we played Zagiris, I would feel comfortable with my wife and my son coming to the game, yeah. watching cheer. My wife would not come to the Panathinaikos yeah. game or Olympiacos or Partizan. Or, no, yeah. no, I just, there's no way. <laughs> there's no way. Like, it's just a, a too hostile environment. Yeah. <laughs> but you think about it, if you're playing at home and let's like Red Star and you have kids now, but you want them to watch you play, do you still bring them to the game? I let them come unless we play Partizan. They stay, okay. they stay, or I get a box seat because. You just you just never know what could happen. You never know, yo. <laughs> you the, never know. the most paradoxical thing is that actually Rudy Fernandez, like ten years ago, he was beaten by a couple of Lithuanian fans in inside the gym, actually behind the scenes. So, I, I never heard about any player being beaten in in Belgrade or Athens. So, this this is one of I would say most unexpected facts that unfortunately have to share with our listeners that we had this this case and of course those fans that were banned for life. Jargis got a fine of I would say maybe one hundred thousand euros uh, or something. So it was a, it was a big scandal in Lithuania and for sure it doesn't illustrate Lithuanian fan experience at all. It was just two drunk guys, or particularly one drunk guy who who made so they, terrible decision. So they find Zagiris for the actions of individuals that they could not control who had no affiliation with the club yeah, yeah. this is unfair uh, this is unfair i mean they're they were kind of organizers of the game so you kind of have to protect the players or to make sure that the players are protected even after the game so maybe that was the case yeah, uh, i think it's fair secure. i think it's fair they wanted more security huh yeah it probably player. Yeah. yeah. Anyways, it, regarding partisan, I had this question. You just mentioned Kevin Punter. Now it feels like it feels like he is coming as some kind of messiah for uh, for for partisan uh, because he's that the most clutch player uh, in the league and partisan uh, as well. Now he comes and now they're gonna win the game five. But you know, missing those last two games, Tough. having these expectations around, did you try to get in his shoes? How can it? Can, how can he be affected in this mental uh, side? The, the thing with him is he just has to be himself. He's extremely talented. He's a shot maker. He can score. The tendency is when you're a big-time player, you want to win so bad that sometimes you do too much. Yeah. And so if he just comes in, he relaxes. If he lets the game come to him, he's experienced. He's been to the Final Four. He's done stuff with Milan. He's you know won a Champions League. He, you know, he has a very good resume. So I think like he'll come in with the right mindset because he's a guy who doesn't shy away from the moment. You know, I just think that um he just has to be paid early on because you know um the team played different, you know, without you. And I think they'll adjust, they'll get back in task, but sometimes you, you know, you read the game, you see what your teammates are going to do, you see where they're at, and then you'll know in the first 3 or 4 minutes, you know, how aggressive you need to be. If guys are shying away from the moment, that's when you put your foot on the gas. If everybody is, you know, moving the ball, they're scoring, everybody's in the rhythm, you can kind of coast. You know, you see LeBron James do it. You coast a little bit, and then you have 
more energy throughout the whole game. The second half, you still play hard defense, but I'm just saying you don't assert yourself offensively because your team is flowing. And so, like, he's kind of that needle that can kind of thrust them to where they need to go offensively. And I think um, it's, I mean, it would be a great story, right? Like, if, you know, the team loses without him, he's a free agent this summer. Um, if he can come in, make them win, uh, it shows his value. Um, it makes Partizan almost indispensable to them. Um, his agent will be extremely happy. He'll demand <laughs> a lot of money on the market. And, I mean, he'll be legendary. Um, legendary. I don't, will he ever have to buy anything? Will he ever have to pay for a meal? Definitely not there. <laughs> like, so I think it's a perfect story. And I think really the first five minutes, you know, take what the defense gives you, but, you know, read it, read it out. And you know, I think he'll have a great performance just because that's who he is. He's a clutch player, and I don't think they have a good matchup for him guard-wise. And this is why I sometimes text Eric and ask him for advice because that was a great synopsis of how he should approach the game. Because obviously I've only been playing in Europe for six years. And my mentality is like, yo, if I'm punter, I'm like, yo, I've been building up for the last two games wanting to play. So I'm coming out ultra aggressive. But it makes sense to ease in because, you know, they've been playing this way for the last two games. And, you know, obviously he doesn't want to overthink it, you know, allow himself to, you know, find his rhythm. Because I remember uh, a few months ago, I had to miss a game because um, of a suspension I got in the Turkish league. And you miss that game. So I didn't play for a whole week. And then you, I get in there and, you know, I'm trying to be ultra aggressive, but, you know, I'm out of rhythm a little bit. And you don't think about that. You think, ah, you know, I just miss a game or two and I'm just going to pick up where I left off. But, you know, it's definitely, you know, a time, especially in the playoffs, you know, and they're on the road, you know, where Eric said it's so important for him to, you know, get his rhythm, you know, the right way because they definitely don't need him down the stretch. Yep. So, Dylan, you also have them winning game five in Madrid? I, and I obviously I played in Spain for many years and I love – the, the the league and everything and Real is a great team but you know I would love to see you know the underdog I'm a, I'm an underdog uh, story type of guy you know for what they went through and you know Brodovic you know getting back to Serbia and you know getting to the final four you know with that roster you know I think it would be an amazing story so you know that's what I'd love to see and I think you know personally they got the dogs on that on that side now they got motivation and if I was a betting man I'd, I'd bet on Parzan for game five I I would say I also take partisan in five. Just what I've said before the series, and Eric knows it very well. You did, uh, and you especially did. in in this case, mainly because Gabriel Deck got injured, and I think that he was very important for Madrid. He was a huge advantage uh, on Madrid's team, and now without without him, I'm not sure if even Edith Tavares is playing some amazing basketball, just proving once again how great he is in the EuroLeague, how dominant he is on both uh, si uh, ends of the si sides of the floor. Uh, I just feel that Partizan has it all, you know, to, to, to win game five. And if only Kevin will uh, find his inner peace to adjust, to get back, uh, to be uh, calm in those moments, I think that uh, Partizan will be fine. Of course, it should be a great uh, fight between the, those two teams, but it would make sense if, if Partizan wins the game five. Yeah, it would be just, I think. Um, and I don't even root for teams, but just how everything played out, you know, I think it would be special just to see them win. I mean, it's essentially the same Euro Cup team from last year. Yeah. And they added three players, and now they're in the final four, potentially. Like, 
that's, I mean, that's just an excellent coaching job. Um, guys coming together. I think great leadership by um, Lede, Ponter, you know, those guys who were on the roster last year, they kind of, you know, bring all in because, I mean, they, they had some moments last year where they struggled, you know, in those big games um, in the Euro Cup. And just to see them kind of transition, um, you know, going from that single elimination tournament, losing at home in a game they had no business doing in the Euro Cup to now, it looks like they're a team that could go on the road and win in Madrid. Like, that's a crazy turn of events, you know, in less than one year. Yeah, and I just wanted to give credit to, to Eddie Tavares uh, one last time. I mean, we mentioned how crucial for Partizan was missing Kevin Punter in those decisive moments. But at the same time, Eddie Tavares and his impact on the court offensively, for instance, was was huge. I mean, game game free, 26 points, 11 rebounds, four offensive rebounds, three assists, three blocks, 41 for performance index rating, one of the best playoff performances all time. Game four, 15 points, seven rebounds, four offensive boards, two steals, two blocks, 30 performance index rating. He's averaging 30.3 performance index rating. And I've checked that in both game games three and four, when he was on the floor, Partizan's two-point shooting percentage decreased by 27%. Of course, that tells a lot about how his backup was not, you know, uh, performing as he should, maybe. But, I mean, when he was on the court for Partizan, it was so tough to find the basket if that was in the paint or not a three-pointer. And I believe that Dylan knows better than anybody else, having this ACB experience, how yeah. it feels just to have Eddie in the paint. I would actually love to have the stat, not just block shots, but yes. the shots okay. that they were changed mm -hmm. or the shots even, that they were impacted. It's even before you even get to the paint, because I, I always say, I, I haven't seen a big in Europe. In college, you know, you have your, your few, but, you know, in Europe, I haven't played against a big who uh, makes me change my mentality of playing. You know, obviously, I like to get to the basket, but it's not even when you get to the basket. Yes, you're changing your shot, but even when I'm on the three-point line, and I'm like, okay, I'm about to beat Deck or I'm about to beat Koshira. And then I have to see Tavares in there. So you even think before you're putting up the shot, you're trying to find out how can I get a shot over him? Should I get him on the move? If he's just standing on the basket, then I have to go to a floater, a mid-range shot. Now, I think he's the most impactful player, arguably, and by far the most impactful big in there. And now him being so good offensively just makes him a dual threat. But, you know, defensively playing them throughout the years, you know, it, it makes you – I was thinking about it a week before we play them. Like, all right, how am I going to score inside with Tavares in there? Because he's such a presence, and he knows how to play the game. He's not just a big body. He knows where to be. He knows, you know, the space to take up. You know, it's definitely hard uh, to score on him inside. And you know what's the most impressive thing for me? There's two things that stand out. The fact that a man that size can move like that, like laterally up and down the court, he doesn't look goofy. He doesn't look uncoordinated. Everything looks natural. Um, and then the fact that he can play 30 minutes, 31, 32, and then you're in a playoff format. So you're playing game three and game four. That's two days later. Like the fact that he's able to perform at that level, I mean, he's been excellent. He's a beast. Um, People don't even drive on them. They're, they're going to the hole and they're just pulling it out. Like, I know Dylan knows when you play against Tavares, there's like a no layup rule. Like, everyone has to shoot floaters or pull-ups. If you get in the paint and you try to attempt a layup and you're a guard, 
you're getting subbed out. Like, that's how it was. No one challenged him. Keep your dribble alive in the paint and pull up. Like, when we played against him, it was always, all right, it, all pull-ups, snake dribbles, <laughs> deep threes. Um, and if you get in the paint, pass. If you can, shoot your floaters from 15 feet. Like, not your normal traditional floater in the paint. No, shoot your floater from the free throw line. And yeah. that, that was the only way to kind of be successful. Even- even getting in the lane and you dropping it to your big because he commits, he's still blocking the shot yeah. from the big. He so can touch you, right? lands on the ground, and then blocks your, your big man. Like, yeah. what can you do with this? And, and, I mean, he's just – he's showing his value and his worth. And, like, just to see his growth from his Grand Canary days um, yeah. to now, I mean, he, he's just an unbelievable player. And even from – you know, I'm from Ohio, so, like, I remember when he played, you know, for the Cleveland Cavaliers – yeah. It just seems like his mobility, his athleticism, you could tell he's really focused on his body because all these things have improved, you know, from that time and his feel for the game. It's, it's so much better. Yeah, and he's a real Iron Man. I mean, he's even now he's playing through injury. He had to miss the game, too. And he, his season was actually on the line, jeopardized by his injury. But he, uh, thank God that his injury was not that serious. He still plays through the injury and he manages to dominate the game at a, such a high level. I mean, he's he's just awesome. But just to continue with the other matchups. Uh, so Eric picked Partizan on top of his uh, most likely uh, away team winning game five ranking. Dylan, do you have... Partisan on the top as well, or you have somebody else over yeah, there? I got, I got Partisan number one. Okay, so so who's next? Who is second in your list? I, well, I, I play here, so I might get in trouble for this, but... <laughs> <laughs> if I'm unbiased, I have to take off my gala cape. I have to. If I'm unbiased, I think I think Federer could do it. I think they could do it. They're tough. They got the the pieces for it. Obviously, Olympiacos, they're amazing. Uh, you know, watching them play basketball, you you want to play an offense like that where the ball is moving. It's not stuck. You know, everybody knows their role. Um, but, you know, I, watching Fenner and, you know, the pieces they have, uh, you know, they already got a game there. Uh, they come home, they lose a tight one off that crazy shot where they could have uh, easily won that game. Um, you know, I'm not saying they will, but, you know, I think they could go in there and give Olympiacos a run for their money, and I wouldn't be surprised if they win. Hmm, interesting. For me... I just hope I could come back home after. When you started, I really thought that you're going to choose Maccabi uh, over Tel Aviv, and you <laughs> mentioned this bias uh, no, thing. No. For me, I'm choosing Maccabi over Monaco. I had to go in game five. Um, you know, I, I had Monaco losing. Um, I think it's still a great team, but I just really like that Maccabi backcourt. And I think, um, you know, it's smart for Monaco to, to limit some of those tickets. I've seen that they're only going to give 150. I would give zero. Zero. Um, <laughs> maybe 10 or 20. This is our All gym. Is in, in We're winning this game. Um, yeah. I, I like being hospitable, but, you know, this is game five now. So um, I think that's a very nice gesture of them to do 150. And 150 of Maccabi fans, you know, they can sound up like four or 500. Like, you know, sure. they have that capacity. But I think um, it's going to be a great guard play. I think you'll see great performances from Mike James. Um, I think you'll see Jordan Lloyd, a cowboy, put on a performance as well. But you know, I just really like Wade Baldwin and uh, Lorenzo Brown, what they do. I like their versatility with their bigs, like Poitras, Nebo. Um, you know, I think 
this is a place where home court won't be as big an advantage. Um, obviously, the Monaco gym is smaller. Um, you know, France, it's more like spectators, you know, not a hostile environment. You know, the fact that you can have 150 fans from another team tells you, you know, that, you know, they're civilized, everything's going to be smooth. Um, and I just feel like, you know, Maccabi has the roster at that time. Everything started to click. It came together. Um, Monaco maybe has more experience together as a group, you know, losing game five last year um, to Olympiacos, you know, at their place. So the, you think that can make them a little stronger. Um, but some reason, you know, I think it's hard to come back from a 30-point thrashing. Uh, you know, it's okay to lose sometimes, um, but, you know, they really dominated the game. And I think that's going to give Maccabi a lot of um, confidence moving forward. And, you know, I think personally it's easier to lose by 30 in play than to lose by a game winner. Um, yeah. And, and that's why I have center um, as the third. The fact that they're able to win game four, you know, after how they lost game three, you know, is super impressive. You know, it tells me um, the character of those guys, um, how well coached they are and their toughness. Cause that was enough to kind of break a lot of people like that shot, great defense, Nigel fully contests. And so Lucas just makes a play. Like he's known as a bit shot maker. Um, maybe they can do a better job of getting the ball out of his hands, but you know, at the end of the day, they defended it well. And I just feel like winning in Seth in game five um, with a team that's been together for years, that has experience. You got to remember, Finner's a whole new team, a whole new roster, a whole new coaching staff. They have not been battle-tested. This is their first test. Yeah. So do I think they're a great team? Yes. Do I think they have the potential to be special? I think if they keep the core together, they can do a lot. Um, I'm also wondering what they're going to do with Wilbekin. Is he going to play? Is he not? If he plays, it takes away from Carson Edwards. Do they still use him? Do they? Does that take away from Tyler Dorsey's minutes? Um, you know, Scotty's a great player. It's extremely difficult to find minutes for three shooting guards, you yeah, know, when there's only one position, there's only 40 minutes at the yeah. shooting guard position. You can slide Scotty to the one and two, but you know, he's also out of rhythm. He hasn't played in almost two months. Wow. Do you, do you risk playing him? Like, it's just a lot of questions. And, you know, my money says to always go with the team that has history that's been together longer. Um, and the team that has a dominant home court and Olympiacos has shown us who they are throughout the course of the year. And, you know, I'm a firm believer in, you know, a body of work. So I'm going to go with that first place, what they showed me all year, that body of work. And um, the fact that Zinko only had two points and it took, you know, Finner, you know, barely could beat him. That screams an excellent team to me. When your best player has a, a off game or a bad game because of excellent defense and you still barely lose by a possession or two, you're in trouble. And that's how I see the series. By the way, Slukas also had three points. So you have two top scorers limited to five points. That's that's an incredible defensive achievement. But at the same time, winning the game that way in such a tight race. I mean, as you mentioned, that speaks about the potential that Olympiagos has for the game five. Uh, you mentioned a lot of good points. And let's stick now with this uh, Fenerbahce and Olympiacos series. Although uh, I also have them at the bottom of my list, uh, I think that Olympiacos will win this one. But let's be honest, no, not many saw that there will be game five in this series. And nobody for sure saw it as a, I would say, tightest playoff series so far because 
three of four games in Olympiakos and Fenerbahce series were decided by less than four points. And that's the first time in, in, the, in the last decade, actually, to have such a tight series. For instance, 10 years ago, Barcelona and Panathinaikos had three games decided by less than two points, which is just, just, just an incredible uh, fact. But what I think, I mean, and what's maybe obvious that Fenerbahce did something to this Olympiakos offensive flow. They kept them under 80 points in all four games. Uh, they made uh, life really hard for Sasha Vizenkov. For instance, there's this list of uh, players who had the biggest decrease in their performance index rating compared to the regular season and the playoffs. So, for instance, three Olympiakos players are in the top five. Yanulis Larazakis, his uh, efficiency decreased by eight uh, points. Sasha Vizenkov, 7.7. And Thomas Walkup, 6.4. What did you guys notice? how Fenerbahce changed the way Olympiakos was used to play or how they, you know, broke this flow of, of Olympiakos game? Well, from what I saw, um, it's that size, that length. Um, you know, they're, they're able to be versatile um, defensively. You know, they can give you a drop D, a high protect defense. They can give you a hedge. But what they have their most success, I think, has been the switch Um Besides when um, Mustafa falls in the game, it's extremely difficult to switch with him. Um, they've done it, but um, they were vulnerable a little bit. Um, but I think Olympiakos had some struggles getting him the ball early, you know, in the clock. And they were forced to play one-on-one when they really don't have too many strong one-on-one players outside of Shaq McKissick. I think um, <clears throat> what makes them good is the ball movement, the pick and roll, those type of thing. I think Nigel Hayes has been excellent. You know, I said it earlier, you know, before the playoffs that he's probably the best all around defensive player in the Euroleague. And I think he's shown it. Um, he can guard one through five and he's really cut off the head of the snake um, in Vizinko. And it's really hurt their offense because part of it is he was just playing so out of his mind all year. It's extremely difficult to maintain this pace. The other part of it is that they've game plan for him. He's going against someone who's more athletic, who's stronger. Um, and they're bringing help on certain things. He's not getting those easy cuts. He's not getting those catch-and-shoot opportunities. He's having to create buckets, and that's not what he does. He's a guy who plays pick-and-pop, um, catches the ball in closeout situations, back cuts, off the rebound. He's not getting e- any easy buckets, and they've limited all those easy points. They've cut transition opportunities, and they've done a solid job on the glass considering you know that they're giving up some size in certain situations um, You know, will fall in the middle. Um, but I think those things have been, you know, detrimental to their offensive flow and it's disrupted them. And um, when you have taller guards, you know, Calathis, 6'5-ish, it's easy to switch. And then they even can be creative. You can put a Deshaun Pierre on the guard, you're switching. Now you got a guy, maybe he's only 6'6", 6'7", but he's strong, he's he's heavy, he can put his weight on the big. And, you know, I said that's that's their strength. You know, against Fenerbahce, if you want to beat them, you need guys who can play good one-on-one basketball or guys who can score really well in the post. That's the only way to beat the switch. And it's not easy when you know, everyone's tall, athletic, and they're shrinking that court. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. The switching, it's, it throws your whole offense off. You know, I've played them uh, twice this year, and, you know, they did the same thing with us. You know, I come off a ball screen, I have Nigel on me, and then I have Deshaun Pierre switching on to me, and it's almost the same player. You know, you have the length, and I think they're taking away all easy baskets with these switches. Um, and then, yeah, Kalaitis, he's a big guard as well who could switch as well. And, you know, at the end of the shot clock, 
uh, you know, you don't want to have to shoot those one-on-one, you know, ISO shots all the time. And I think because they're taking away those easy ones, you know, force them into tough shots, um, it's throwing off their whole uh, offensive rhythm. Uh, but that's why I said why Fenner, I think, is uh, could possibly win because they stick to this. You know, it's not like it's an offensive um, tactic that is not working, so you have to switch it. It's a defensive tactic that they're going to continue to do, and they're really good at it. So, you know, I think if they stick with it and get stops on the defensive end, you know, the offense is going to come. You have Tyler Dorsey, you have Kalaitis, you know, getting everybody's shots. And, you know, if Nigel and Carson can hit the threes that they have been, you know, it's going to be tough for Olympiacos. Yeah, and few stats to mention. Uh, Olympiacos two-point shooting percentage decreased from 61 to 53 uh, speaking of ball movement, from 22 assists per game in the regular season, now their average is, average is only 15.3. Uh, 33 of their points uh, were assisted, and now it's only 24. Uh, it feels like Fenerbahce decreased the number of the possessions, uh, as, as er- I think Eric mentioned, that they stopped their transition game. So they did a lot of things just to, you know, to, to break that flow that uh, basically they were famous uh, for this whole season and that made players like Vazenkov or, or Kostas Lukas uh, so great and, and so shining in the EuroLeague. And it's good to, that you guys mentioned Nigel Hayes-Davis as one of my colleagues in, in, in Greece from, from Gazeta, Kostas Malayas, uh, wrote in his article, it feels like Nigel Hayes-Davis actually sticks to Vazenkov even when he goes to the restroom. That's how... <laughs> That's how tight his defense is, and that's how he's taking away all those easy shots. And but what's interesting that, I mean, both Nigel Hayes Davis and Deshaun Pierre they basically played on uh, double shift. I mean, Nigel Hayes Davis logged in 150 minutes out of 160 possible, so he's about to set two yearly playoffs records for average and total playing time in the playoffs. And I was just wondering. Uh, how banged up it feels, you know, to get so much playing time and when the series are going down to to game five, both for Nigel and both for Deshaun, or it's just something that you cannot overreact considering the rest that those players get because Fenerbahce, they didn't play in the Turkish league during the EuroLeague playoffs. So they they basically will play five games in 14 days. So this this heavy minutes thing is it a factor or it just looks that bad? But considering their schedule is is not that bad at all. It it plays a factor. I think um, it doesn't come in your effort. I think guys are gonna always try to play hard in the playoff time. Um, but when you get fatigued, your shots a little short. You don't have that same lift. Um, sometimes your decision making, you know, late in the game when you're fatigued, you know, might be a little cloudy. That's when you'll see guys, you know, make mistakes that they don't normally make or. You know, do things that they don't normally do. The good news is um, they both don't play with the basketball. You know, they play the three and the four position. These are the two easiest positions um, on the court physically. You know, point guard, you have the ball, you're bringing the ball. Then on the reverse end, you're pressing the ball. You're getting hit with pick and rolls. You have to go over top. Five man, you're running rim to rim, rim to rim, coming out, setting the screen, re-screen, rolling. These are very difficult on your body. But at the four position, it's more three to three. Um yeah. You're less involved in pick and row actions, um, and you're not getting as much banging and physicality as the five man. So I think as a three man, you're in the corner more. Um, only thing is that Sean Pierre posts up a lot, and when you're post offense or post defense, it takes a lot of energy out of you. All those boom, those bumps, 
that shoulder, those quick spins he's doing, you know, those things do wear you out, but they get a lot of rest on the court. And I think that's why Tudis doesn't sub them often um, throughout the game because he knows the ball is usually going to be in Calathe's hands, Tyler Dorsey's hands, Carson Edwards, um, and then, you know, finding some opportunities for Motley. And you're able to kind of rest them by just putting them in a corner, giving them opportunities, and they're waiting for a spot-up shot. But, you know, you, these, they are human. Um, you know, they're closer to to 30 than they are to 20. And you will see, you know, these things start to affect your offensive performance. And I think that's why both teams, you know, aren't as efficient offensively because they're fatigued. Um, they're fighting, they're pushing, they're playing great defense. And, you know, a lot of people don't understand, but the better defense you play a lot of times, uh, the worse your offense. Um, it just, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's, a, it's like a tug and pull. Like if you want somebody to get out there, press to now you want someone to chase Mazinko all game running around, like, you know, you might not have as much legs as normal um, yeah. on your shot or you're scoring it. And you see that. So that's why teams that usually score a lot of points, they usually give up a lot of points and teams that don't score much. Uh, you know, obviously they, they exerting a lot of energy defensively. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely think what he said is best. The three or four, you know, obviously they're not you know, bringing the ball up, running as many actions. But you've seen, you know, Sean Pierre is able to get that, you know, corner three ball because, you know, he has, I'm not saying more legs than, you know, the Tyler Dorsey's and the Claytis because, you know, they're, doing, they're so active with the ball. But, you know, he's able to, you know, shoot those shots, you know, with time and, you know, knock them down. Um, because he's not doing the heavy lifting all the time. But, you know, Nigel and uh, Deshaun Pierre, knowing them personally, they're workhorses. They know, you know, if we lose, you know, we're going home. So, which I love about them, you know, they're going to figure out how to get it done, no matter how many minutes they play. And obviously it's going to wear on them uh, over time. Um, but I think they know the stakes. Uh, they know uh, their mentality is built for it. And, you know, with Fenner, it just fits, you know, having both of them being able to switch. I think they have good connection in that. And, um, you know, I think no matter how many minutes they play, they're going to give, you know, the effort. Yeah, the sh shots might be short here and there, um, decision-making, but, you know, the effort is going to be there, and that's the most important in the playoffs. So I think, Eric, uh, I as well, we have Maccabi in five, as yes. we, I think, predicted before the series. What about you, Dylan? Yeah, you know, I love Maccabi. Um, I think Monaco has a great team. Uh, obviously, Mike James is an amazing player. Jordan Lloyd is uh, playing great basketball. But, you know, I think that backcourt of Maccabi and their supporting cast, you know, has been amazing all year. Um, you know, Wayne Baldwin said, you know, me and Lorenzo Brown, he felt like was the best backcourt in your league. Um, and I think, you know, that confidence they have, um, you know, it's great. You know, they all sign uh, extensions. So clearly they, you know, love being there. Um, and I think they're going into this game. They just play with this, I would say, you know, chip on their shoulder, but this this swag about them that, you know, they they going in there to win the game. And, you know, with Monaco not having a great home court advantage, that might uh, play a little factor as well. You know, Maccabi's not going in there thinking, hey, we got to play Olympiacos with these, you know, wild fans, loud fans. Um, so I'm going with Maccabi as well. You know, I think Monaco will give them a good game, obviously, um, from the experience they've had last year, um, losing to go to that Final Four. But um, if I have to bet, I'm betting on Maccabi as well. Yeah. To me, Maccabi was more consistent team in the playoff series, and which is weird that I would say that Monaco was 
maybe the weirdest team in the playoffs because when they're down by 10 or more, okay, they'll try to kick once or twice, but if things are not going their way, they're, they can easily just let the game away. That That's what just happened in game one when you kind of watch the end of the third quarter and you see that there's only one team who really, really, really wants to win this game. And it felt kind of the same in, in Tel Aviv in game four. Of course, the way they managed to, you know, return their home court advantage, I mean, Monaco in game three was, it was a great, great game by Monaco. But in game four, they started really well, but they got this Maccabi run 25-0. Of course, it's not easy to bounce back uh, from it, and they tried, but still, in the second half, it felt like they're already thinking about game five. So I think Maccabi always had this amazing fighting spirit. Even in those two losses, even if Monaco was winning, you you, you couldn't feel that, okay, Maccabi, they are done. They're not coming back. They tried to come back in, in both of these losses and they did a really good job and they, they stayed really consistent with their effort, with the level of the play. But just in some situations, maybe Monaco was, was uh, a bit better because talent-wise, just in general, I think that Monaco is a better team but Maccabi has a better momentum. They have a better chemistry for the playoffs for, 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 for this moment. They're led by consistent game of Lorenzo Brown and Wade Baldwin. And I'm just missing some things in Monaco game. And basically these are things I've mentioned before the series. I don't have doubts about Mike James. I have doubts about some other factors, including three-point shooting. I mean, Monaco is making only 25% of threes. There are players like Elio Kobo who was supposed to be or who is supposed to be, you know, the next uh, franchise player in Monaco. Uh, but in the playoff series, he was not that dominant as Mike James, Wade Baldwin, Lorenzo Brown, averaging 18, uh, 11 points on, I would, I think that it was only 25% of three-point shooting. He made more turnovers than assists. His efficiency is really low, around six or seven per game. That's not the, the, what your team needs in, in this stage of the season. And the problem is that Maccabi, they're usually putting very aggressive defense on Mike James, forcing him to kick uh, out the ball. And sure. that means it's more about others to perform. And the problem is that there's not just Elio Kobo, I would say underperforming uh, by his standards because he can be he can be really decisive. He showed that in a few games this year, just, you know, killing those games and, and winning it for Monaco. But there's also uh, Alpha Diallo, great all-around player, but he's making only 8% of three-pointers. There is uh, Blossom Game, another amazing uh, uh, all-around forward, but 25% of three-pointers. John Brown didn't connect a single three-pointer. There, uh, there are a lot of other factors that I am not buying it. I'm not, I, I cannot trust. And I just see more advantages for Maccabi heading in this uh, game five. I know that, I mean, for, for I know that Mike James is listening to this podcast because <laughs> I, read, uh, I, I already get this friendly middle finger treatment when I came to Monaco to cover the series. <laughs> but we're good. We're all good. We're uh, all good. Uh, yeah, good each other. yeah. And he said that he's going to talk to me for an interview just after game five. So at least I was right with my prediction <laughs> that it's it going to be a, fi a, a five game series. <laughs> but a lot of things has to happen, uh, has to go in the right way for Monaco to win yeah. this series. And I just feel that and I, in this situation, I just trust Maccabi a little bit more than Monaco. Yeah. 
Eric, you're you're you've muted yourself. Oh, we need sorry. to there hear you your your <laughs> basketball mind because you're my only yeah. hope that can bring this <laughs> podcast to ESPN. So please enjoy the platform. <laughs> I think I think you hit everything on the head. I think um, and it's something we talked about this summer when we were talking about the Monaco acquisitions. Like I really like this roster. I do, um, but the lack of big man shooting at the five and four position is what's held them back. You know, it's hurt the spacing for the guards, um, hurt the space on the pick and roll, took away some of the live opportunities for Dante Hall, um, and also took away from some of that ISO space, you know, for those guards to kind of get busy and operate. Um, if you look at the stats, two things stand out to me. Um, game one, they were four for 26 from three. Four three-pointers in the entire game on your home floor. Um, that's something that you don't really expect. And then game four, um, in Maccabi in the blowout, three for 19. So, you know, you know, we're looking at a small sample size. I know four games, but that just shows you the lack of a true three point threat. Um, they don't really have a sniper. Um, and that's something that could really open up the court from them. If it was a sniper at the four position, it would be ideal because that would open the entire court. But, you know, right now, you know, Yearly deadline's over. Can't add anybody. I do believe in Mike James. I do believe in, you know, that roster. But the lack of shooting, um, mm -hmm. you know, stops me from picking this team, especially against a team who's so explosive offensively, like a Maccabi, who has, you know, all those things. And when they're rolling, as we saw in game four, they can be a well-oiled screen. To score 104 points in the playoffs, you know, this is not an easy task. In the yearly playoffs, this is the best basketball, best time of the year every team is at their peak or they wouldn't be here. So that lack of three-point shooting, um, I think it's what's going to hurt them in the end. I think it's what hurt them in the Olympiacos series last year. And until they saw that, um, they're going to continue, you know, to have you know, some issues um, in these type of games when teams shrink the court and dare them to shoot from the perimeter. Yeah, I totally agree. You know, three-point shooting is the name of the game now. And if you can't stretch the floor, especially – at least with the four, you know, it makes everything tough. You know, you've seen in the partisan game, Smiley hitting that three in, uh, I think it was a yeah game three, you know, it gave them a chance. You know, when you have a big who could stretch a floor and, you know, make those bigs come out, um, you know, it opens up the rest of the game. Uh, Mike James could, you know, he's a great scorer, great talent, and obviously he could do so much, but he creates those open spot-ups, you know, for other people on Monaco's team and you know if there's not knocking those down you know it gets obviously frustrating for them but definitely get frustrating for Mike as well because you know him creating these shots you know he wants to see you know points on the board um you know if they get the three you know it's definitely gonna be a great game but uh I definitely agree if they're not knocking those down it's gonna be tough for them guys just for the end of the podcast uh you know, when you're playing away, when you're playing a decisive game, sometimes, I wouldn't call it home teams, uh, but sometimes hosts try to do everything in their power to complicate the away team's life and their <laughs> chances See to win that game. And, I mean, we saw a lot of different examples, just releasing the air pressure and the ball for the warm-up and then starting the game with brand new balls. Or, you know, putting the crazy bus driver in the bus to 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 injure the head coach of the Eurocup finalist. <laughs> turns out that there's also this way of trying to change and impact the game, which is horrible, I would say. But anyways, uh, 
And for instance, uh, I, I, I did the research and it turns out that 28 years ago, allegedly, uh, Tseska Moscow was poisoned in Greece before a decisive game in the playoffs against Olympiakos. Only five players managed to make the game because the others were hospitalized, the others were just ill, just couldn't uh, come on the floor. And of course, they lost the series uh, badly. Uh, but what uh, were your weirdest experiences playing away in the playoffs, in the finals, watching how hosts try to affect the game? Because nowadays it's it's a bit uh, more civilized, I would say, as I mentioned, this ball thing on the warm-up than just putting a bus driver really late to you know drive you to the practice or even to the game. Uh, and nothing more, uh, nothing as dramatic as it happened uh, or allegedly happened in, in in Greece many years ago. What were your experiences? I know um, this season when we played Mercia um, in the playoffs of the Champions League, they um, didn't give us the main gym. So we fly in, we're supposed to have practice the day before the game like normal. They didn't give us the main gym. They um, gave us a time where the handball team would be practicing so we had to go to the little side court gym and i tell you it was so cold we had like our coaches had jackets on like we all had like our sweats on honestly like it was freezing all the balls were flat our coaches are out there trying to pump up the ball mm -hmm. and the rims were not 10 feet like the rims uh one rim was higher and one was lower and so we're warming up on this and i know he's played in spain so i guess like my teammates who play in spain they say this is what mercia does like this is who they are and uh <laughs> i'm like what is going on this is supposed to be like this would never happen like in other places i've been or play i've never seen nothing like this so like we're out there with flat balls and low rims and a cold freezing gym and um you know, that, that's kind of the treatment we got. And then obviously, you know, fans were outside the hotel, <clears> making <throat> noise, doing stuff. Uh, you know, you were just, you know, hearing drum beats, everything. So, you know, you kind of get used to that. Um, other times, other years, uh, like a uh, bus would take the long way or teams would strategically put you in a hotel that was further from the gym so that you would hit traffic because, you know, I played 13 years. So, after playing so many years, if you play in a country, you know where you're supposed to stay at or you know what's the ideal location. And when you're not staying at the regular hotel that you've stayed at when you played in this uh, country, and now you're on the team that's visiting from outside the country, you're wondering, like, what's going on? We're going to hit crazy traffic. And no one knows. The coaches don't know, but you know. And, <laughs> and it happens. And now shooter rounds cut short or practice or, you know, maybe you don't have as much time, you know, for the game to get to the game. So, you yeah. know. Yeah, for me, I don't think I've had, uh, I'm pro I probably had experiences that I haven't seen directly, but uh, as far as this year, it's always more of the fans that, you know, do things that the ref knows they're doing. Like when we went to Ike this year, you know, obviously I'm warming up and I see fans and their kids like swearing at me. I'm like, I don't even know who you are. But this is what got me. When we were shooting free throws and in timeouts, they have lasers. Yeah, the grease way. And they're shining it in your eye. Like, I just like, and the ref knows that they do this. And we had our point guard shooting a free throw. I think we were down about, it's like third quarter. We down like six. And they were shooting their eyes in the timeout. But I seen it hit his eye in the third quarter. And it's big free throws. 
And I'm like, yo, at least give us a, another shot. You know what I mean? He missed the free throw because the laser and the refs is like, you know, there's nothing we could do about it. You know, I, we, we can't prove that there's a laser. I'm like, you guys know what they do here. Uh, so, you know, obviously, I don't think the refs, I'm not saying the refs, I'm not, I don't want to get fined or nothing like that. I did see the foul counts. I, I watched the game over, I'm not saying uh, anything about the refs. But, yeah, you just know in a gym when I just feel like you're not supposed to win. And everybody's doing everything that they can for you not to supposed to win. And, you know, obviously, there's you can never prove it that, hey, this is exactly it. But, yeah, when I had the lasers this year, that, I, th I thought that was over the top. I played the two years in Greece. Because of that, I shoot free throws with my head down. But, uh, <laughs> I swear. So, like, I always keep my head down when I dribble. And right before I'm about to shoot, I look up, and then I shoot. And you can't, you can't get me with the laser. Don't shoot <laughs> 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 you. You have good, good aim for that. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's the craziest thing I've, I've ever seen. No, I promise you. <laughs> Yeah, let's let's hope for a fair fight, everyone, for these great game f uh, five experiences in Madrid, Monaco, and Piraeus. Mm -hmm. Just enjoy uh, the playoffs, everyone. It's great that U.S. basketball fans will get a slight piece of this cake uh, to enjoy game five experiences. And as one uh, Twitter, uh, one guy on Twitter tweeted, Americans will finally be able to watch some real basketball. So that's <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah, the no, NBA guys, doesn't get real. Good line right there. I also want to, I guess we got to commend uh, Partizan as well, because I wasn't sure what to expect, you know, being at Stark Arena and they, they handled themselves professionally. Um, yeah. The fans did a great job. They didn't put any harm on the players um, and they kept it basketball. So, you know, we got to got to give them their little kudos because they did a good job. And that's how basketball is supposed to be. You know, keep the game exciting, you know, yell, scream for your team, but keep it safe. Yeah, I actually uh, tweeted, you know, obviously I was just joking, like they better have the National Guard when they go into uh, Serbia because, you know, I played there and obviously I was at Red Star. But, you know, I love the passion that um, some European uh, teams have. You know, Karsiaka is tough to play at. Obviously, Red Star, Partizan. Yeah, but for Partizan to, you know, there was no trouble, you know, with the players and everything because – at the end of the day, it's basketball. Yeah, you know, what happened with Partizan and Real, it was it went past basketball. But, you know, when fans get involved, you know, it's not enjoyable, you know, for the players. And then you have to think about the players' families as well. Now, I know if I was on Real and, you know, I was going to Partizan, you know, my wife knows European basketball. She's going to be, you know, nervous, you know, for me to, you know, go to play in that game. So, you know, for the Partizan fans to, you know, keep it respectful, you know, you definitely got to give them the credit for that. Yeah, we should all be worried about the or concerned about the outcome of the uh, outcome of the game, not yeah. about the surroundings or just exactly. player safety inside the gym. So yeah, kudos for for partisan fans for everyone who endures that kind of environment, starting from Jelko Bradovic from the first press conference uh, after this brawl in Madrid. Then they made some some uh, you know dinners between front office members of Real Madrid and Partizan, putting those pictures on social media just to show that, you know, we're good, we're good, we settled those things down. Kevin Punter also tweeted and kind of accepted Sergio Yu's apology, apology. So that was a great example how we can control these emotions that sometimes they are bowling, uh, bowling over and can cause some, some, some issues. Let's hope there won't be any issues. Let's hope that there's going to be a fair fight for everyone in Game 5. And I have to admit that, gentlemen, it was a 
great to share this, uh, to, to spend this one hour with you talking about hoops, talking about some other behind the scenes uh, stories, stories and uh, thanks and enjoy game fives this week. Thank you for having me, guys. Appreciate it, man. Yeah, always a pleasure. Uh, anytime you need me, you know, I'll be there. Just a phone call away. And <laughs> 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 uh, you know, always good to talk to my Lithuanian people. Hope y'all not mad at me for predicting that 3-0. I still love y'all. Yeah. You were super close. You were super close. You were so right because it basically was one competitive game. It was a good, good series. Even though it was 3-0, it, it was a good series to watch. Good I, think, I think the Lithuanian people can be happy with um, the product that those guys put out in the character they show. They're happy with this 1.5 million, I can say. <laughs> yeah, 3 million would have been even better. 3 million would have been nice. <laughs> <laughs>